This is Ozarks at Large. Today, we're listening to new interviews with authors who have some pretty big ideas. Marvel Comics, the home of Spider-Man, Captain America, Black Widow, and Black Panther, may be the single biggest influence on our contemporary popular culture. Four of the eight all-time box office films in history feature Marvel characters and were released in the last eight years. The highest-grossing movie seven of the last ten years has been set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, that same fictional landscape is home to some of the most-watched streaming television shows on Disney+. Plus. But long before Hollywood was making billions with the likes of Iron Man, thousands of comics were being sold to readers. Douglas Woke decided to read them. All of them. At least all of them since the superhero team The Fantastic Four first emerged in 1961. His new book is All of the Marvels. He wanted to see what, if anything, all the issues since have revealed in what he writes is the longest, continuous, self-contained work of fiction ever created. 27,000 comic books, over half a million pages, a story that's been going on for 60 years. And I just really wanted to see what that story looked like as a story, what it said about its creators, what it said about the world that it was created in and the world that it was published into. All right, and I want to talk to you about some of those themes and narratives in just a minute. But listeners will have to know, how did you do it? What's the what's the condensed way that you took on 27,000 and counting volumes? I read those comics any way I could. Uh, a lot of them I read on Marvel Unlimited, which is their kind of Netflix-ish all-you-can-read service. That helped. I didn't have such a hard time tracking them down. Tracking them down was not the hard part. I've been buying comics for 40 years myself. I got lots of friends who have the stuff I, I didn't have. And Unlimited took care of most of the rest. There's paperback collections and hardcover collections. The library here in Portland, Oregon was uh, wonderful for that. It was really just reading them all. And I didn't read them in any kind of order. I just grazed. I just read whatever I felt like on any given day and kept going until I'd crossed off every line on my spreadsheet. Of course, there were some lines when I realized, oh, there's a big patch of the spreadsheet that I've been avoiding, <laughs> which is how I ended up locking myself into an apartment for 11 days and reading all the Punisher. Ugh. Sorry about that, but... <laughs> I made it. I made okay. it. I survived. <laughs> all right. So roughly this starts, this this work of fiction, this universe starts with Fantastic Four number one in 1962. You You approach this in the book, All the Marvels, as if this is one sort of very complicated, with many, many different um, tangents, but one story. And is it? It is. It really is. Any part of it can refer to any earlier part, and often does. Every part of it is supposed to be more or less compatible with each other, and basically is. It works kind of the same way that the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies and TV shows do, do. Like, they're all their own things, they're all individual stories, but they're also all connected into one gigantic story. Which is unusual in works of fiction. Shakespeare didn't have a shared universe. Well, he kind of did, you know, uh, fall, the Falstaff plays, but not so much. Right. <laughs> they don't all fit together. Right. Um, so are there recurring themes that go on for these decades? Absolutely. You know, at the beginning, for the first eight or so years of the story, it is so much about that Cold War moment, about the fear of 
what's behind the Iron Curtain. They never say, you know, Russia or China. Behind the Iron Curtain is always how it's phrased. But there is this fear of monsters and of the alien and of what is disguising itself as your ally. And that changes over time. As the Vietnam War goes on, as public opinion about it changes, you see much more fracturing, much more of fearing authority and what authority can do if it's malevolent as a theme coming in the 70s. In the 80s, there's a moment where pretty much the entire story suddenly goes underground, literally. There are things happening in tunnels underneath New York City. There are things happening under the ocean. There are things happening under the Earth's crust. And there's the sense that there is something new bubbling up from inside that will emerge somehow. In the last 10 years or so, one theme that keeps turning up over and over is who controls the story? Who controls how you understand the world? What is real news and what is fake news? And it's really interesting to see that all emerge. I'm sure 10 years from now, I can look at comics from right now and I'll go, oh, that is so 2021. That is so obviously of that moment in ways that maybe I can't see yet. You you write in all the marvels that um, it can be intimidating. If someone has never picked up, you know, they're no doubt aware of Spider-Man, Fantastic Four and the Incredible Hulk. But if they've never picked up a comic and they were to go into a comic book retailer, they'd just be overwhelmed. You say, don't let that be the case. Or be overwhelmed or be confused or embrace confusion. There is a real joy to going into a story and not really understanding what's going on at first, not knowing who everybody is, and then figuring it out. And then you're going to get one, oh, I get it now, moment after another. And those, oh, I get it now moments are wonderful things to have no matter what. When you see a movie, they don't necessarily have everybody walk on and explain who they are and what what they're doing at first. And with superhero comics that have been running for a while, it's a little similar. You know, there's some backstory. They're going to tell you everything you need to know, if they're any good at all. Some of them aren't, but they're going to explain it. It's going to become clear eventually. Well, part of the joy for me as a kid in the 1970s was figuring it out kind of on my own. I mean, by the time I was buying some of these reprints, like Marvel Tales would reprint some of the old Spider-Man stories and things like that. And it's kind of like history. If you want to figure out, you know, why the Roman Empire fell, you don't know that as a history student until you start kind of putting the pieces together from different places. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's exactly how these comics work. You read something, you see a name, you see a reference to something that happened in the past, and you can go, huh, I wonder what the deal is with that. Fortunately, now we have the internet. We used to have editorial notes at the bottom of the panels, like, you know, see Fantastic Four number 244. Now you can go, like, so when did the Skrull's home planet get eaten by Galactus? And <laughs> you type it in, someone's like, oh, yeah, that's in Fantastic Four, two, four, two, four. Yeah, okay, that's where. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Skrullops, by the way, is the name of that planet, right? Yes, yes. yes. Okay. Um, we have to talk about comic books and representation because early they were all written, produced almost exclusively by white men. The characters mm-hmm. were almost, most of the protagonists were white men. And the initial attempts to get diversity in there were, let's generously say, clunky? They could be clunky. They're sometimes pretty farsighted. They're sometimes pretty far ahead of their time. And then sometimes they're not. Uh, (laughs) there's, There's some stuff that is a little cringy now. But what's fascinating is that 
almost always the creators of these comics were trying to do right, and they were listening to their readers. They were listening to their audiences. There's a whole chapter in the book about Master of Kung Fu, which is the comic where Shang-Chi first appeared back in the early 70s, 1973, 83, that period. And the letters column of Master of Kung Fu is fascinating because it's people writing in to say, this is remarkable, I really like this, but also, why are the Asian characters being colored bright yellow? What's up with that? Can you not? And you've got the writers and editors and artists of the comic printing these letters in the comics and responding to them and listening to them and paying attention. And they do try to do better gradually. It takes a while, but it happens. Eventually you start seeing more people who are not middle-aged white dudes making comics and more of that happens. You see more characters who are better represented and better shown coming into the characters. You've got Chris Claremont writing X-Men from the 70s onward, famously saying at every possible editorial conference, is there any reason this character can't be a woman? That was his classic line. And now, you know, there's the current Ms. Marvel. It's amazing. Kamala Khan, she's a teenage Pakistani-American Muslim girl growing up in Jersey City, trying to find her way in the world, trying to figure out like how she can do good in the world. And she's wonderful. And there's going to be a TV show about her real soon. I'm glad you mentioned Shang-Chi because you write in the book that as you were going to press, you were about to put in, well, this is sort of a, an obscure character that there's no way he'll ever be uh, you know, given the spotlight like Iron Man. Lo and behold, as you and I talk, Shang-Chi is number one for the entire year at the box office. I love that. I am so happy to be surprised about that. With all of the Marvels, 27,000 volumes, these are characters that interact with each other. The events shape other events. But over the course of a few decades, you have to kind of you know, rewind and <laughs> not do-overs, but close, right? Yeah. There there are things that repeat themselves. Notably, especially, you know, any title that is popular is going to get reused. Any situation that catches on is going to reappear in some form later down the line. Spider-Man, bless him. The Spider-Man story is a coming-of-age story. It is how is this teenage boy who has lost everything and you know, has lost his father and then his father figure, how is he going to be able to grow up? And that's a story, like a coming-of-age story is a story that has an end, and the Spider-Man story can't end because it's a popular thing and it has to go on forever. So his story kind of becomes the itsy-bitsy spider. You know, He only climbs up so high and then something happens and he's knocked back down to the beginning and has to go through it all again. And this happens over and over and over. And that's not a deliberate storytelling decision. That's not a deliberate pattern that was imposed on it by the people writing and drawing the stories. But it's one that, like, when you look at 60 years worth of Spider-Man stories, it's there. It's really there. And later on, later creators catch on to that, too. And there are ways around that, like Miles Morales. You might have seen in the Into the Spider-Verse movie. What if Spider-Man didn't have to be Peter Parker at all? What if it didn't have to be that particular person? You can have a totally different Spider-Man story that is a coming-of-age story. We're seeing that now. You write about March 1965. Now, 
this is when Lightning kind of is captured in a bottle. The Marvel staff, they're beginning, there are a number of titles now. They're catching on, uh, but it's still a small staff. And because it's a small staff, they do something in that month that really kind of reverberates until today. What was that? It's a really interesting moment. It's that particular moment is mostly the artist and plotter Jack Kirby's doing with the writer editor Stan Lee and a few other people, Wallywood artist. But what's going on is that the superhero comics are talking to each other. Events happen in each of them that have consequences in the other one. So you know, there is a new lineup of the Avengers, and while that is going on, you know. Thor, like Thor's girlfriend has been kidnapped and there's a kid who's trying to get in touch with the Avengers, but he can't reach them because they're having a meeting about their new lineup. And then he tries to reach the Fantastic Four, but he can't reach them because they have been left for dead by an attack at sea in their comic the month before. And then he sees Daredevil swinging by and tries to get his attention, but he can't get his attention because Daredevil is busy with something that was going on in the new issue of his comic. And you don't have to read more than one of these comics. If you read any one of them, fine. It's a story on its own. And if you do read more than one of them, you see how the pieces kind of click together, just like the movies and TV shows work now. That it was all not just one place where, you know, you might see Iron Man show up in the Spider-Man story, but where things happened and they had consequences from one part of the story to another. Douglas, thank you so much for your time and thanks for the book. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure, Kyle. Douglas Woke is the author of the new book, All of the Marvels, published by Penguin Press. He talked with us by Zoom last month.